The Diesel Performance Podcast contains explicit language. Thank you for joining us again. This is Paul Wilson. And I'm Danny Vlog. And you're listening to the Diesel Performance Podcast. Danny, you're on the phone today. What's up, bud? Man, we just had a baby, and I'm like strung out on too much coffee and no sleep. Woo! Congratulations, Danny Voss. Just had a bouncing baby boy. Yeah, nine-pounder. He's a he's a monster. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Good stuff. Well, congratulations, man. We're really happy for you. That's from me and Rich, of course, and all of our listeners. Uh, we're going to dive right into today's episode. Quick hits here, though, first. Uh, previous episodes out, Mechanical Mule. Uh, we talked with Tom Van Housen. That's your buddy, huh? Yeah, he was he was a cool dude to meet in person, and he showed us around the sled and everything like that. What a what an experience. Absolutely. And then, of course, I had on Larry LaPan to ambush Danny. We had a lot of fun with that. And then I hope everybody took some time to listen to Nick and Bob's response uh, the following Monday with No Man's Land. Kind of seems like like I was right. I don't know. I don't know what your takeaway was on that, Danny. They didn't have like a, a clear number that was safe or not safe. But we'll we'll uh, we'll just say I was right on it all. <laughs> sure, Paul. You know, absolutely. We uh, we just want to give the best content, and we're both right. I, I believe. So yeah, they. It was- Definitely an experience to talk about that. They really did. They had some really good intricate details that listeners can soak up, find a lot more about how it's not just a horsepower number. It's a lot of the other measurements that we're able to take or other problems that we're able to foresee uh, that can make or break the build. I will say... matters what you're into. matters what you're up against and what you want to face. Absolutely. Absolutely. I will say uh, I am really excited. We're bringing the budget build episode back. Except we're going to double the budget this time. So I'm excited for that. What are you giving me this time? Thirty grand? Yeah, thirty grand. Uh, we're going to change up the format a little bit. Uh, we got some new players in the game. I think it's going to be a really exciting one. So we're, we're we're really looking forward to framing that one out for you guys. And then of course we're going to do another truck advisor here very shortly. We've had a few guys asking questions about their truck. If you have questions about your truck or about your build and you'd like to be on the show or you just like to get some general advice, please call in. We love doing those Truck Advisor episodes, and we'd love to get more of them on the books for you guys. Yeah, Paul, who would have thought that having that first episode would have had so much impact on our listeners? Ryan, the Irish car bomb, got it all started. That's where Truck Advisor began. He just messaged me the other day, by the way, so big shout-out to Ryan. Uh, I was also recently just out at the XDP show. Wanted to say a big shout-out to our number one fan, James Westervelt. Got to meet him in person. That was such a blast. Uh, much appreciated, James. Thanks for stopping by the booth. Absolutely. Yeah, our fans are the best. You said it. Well, today we are rehashing another old topic, uh, Danny's first ever episode on the Diesel Performance Podcast. We did one called The Truck Buyer's Guide, and it has turned out to be one of our most popular episodes And it continues also to be an episode we get a lot of questions about. So we thought we'd take some time and go a little bit deeper into it and really see how much more we can drag out of Danny for advice and insight for you guys going out to buy either a new pickup truck or maybe looking at a couple of different used ones. That topic never seems to get old around Calibrated or anywhere I go in life, it seems. Gotcha. Well, I'm going to put you through the paces on it today, Danny. I broke down a couple of different topics. So I want to give our listeners kind of a highlight of what we're going to be covering. We're going to go over availability, financing, inspection, location, history, market pricing. And we're even going to dive into some specific examples and ask for Danny's advice on what we should be looking for. I can start 
spend your money. I can spend the thirty grand on the budget build. I'm looking forward to doing that, and I also help you spend your money when you get up there in the fifty, sixty grand range. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, Danny, the first thing I want to talk about is availability, and, and this topic came up specifically because recently at Duramax Tuner Calibrated Power, where Danny and I work, uh, we were looking for a new VP truck. Oh, what a task that is! I mean, tell somebody just to go buy a truck and has to be clean, rust-free, never been painted on low miles, dash can't be cracked, can't be a um, 53 block. There's a couple of different things we were looking for, but what a task and who would have thought. And so that's really what it came down to here is initially we thought, well, buying a VP truck, they're a dime a dozen. I can't throw a rock on Craigslist without finding an ad for, for a VP truck for sale. But mm-hmm. can you go over maybe a little bit more slowly what are some of the problems that we should avoid when we're talking about a clean VP truck? Okay, uh, that's awesome you ask because when we set our sights out to go looking and hunting for one, I was chasing a couple myself, but they had to be rust-free. And I'm not talking about a little bit of rust and it was repaired and now it looks good. I'm talking about from out west, from somewhere, you know, rust-free where you could literally just scrape the factory coating off the frame. I'm looking for something that's never been painted on. I was on the mission for that. There are so many trucks that are, you know, 15, 20 years old. Most of them have been painted on for some reason. And that's not what we were in search of. Also, the dreaded 53 block. We talked about it on the first Truck Buyer's Guide episode, and people seem to really already know this because, They've either had a friend that had a 53 block and it cracked, or they've heard a horror story or read about something on a forum, and most of it is true. What it is is the poor casting for the year. You can find that 53 block stamped on the driver's side of the bottom um, of the block, right above the pan, and there's, there's a big 53 on there. Can't miss it. You might have to pull the harness up and down and you know catch a glimpse of it sometimes in certain situations, but... Um, I personally would never buy one or recommend one for somebody that's out hunting for one. Okay. we You had mentioned never been painted, and that's a conversation you and I had personally where I said, well, fuck it. If it's got a good paint job on it, somebody just wanted to change the color, thank you. I got a fresh paint job. At least mine shit's not as old as the truck is. Why don't you want a painted truck? That's a very loaded question, Paul, and there's a lot of reasons why people paint trucks. All the way from Oh, just had a little scratch in it all the way to it got hit by a train. And when there's paint work on the truck, I when I'm buying a truck, my mentality is I'm going I'm looking for that. It's been hit by a train. If because if uh, I see a couple signs of paint, that's my first mentality. And people generally think the worst when there's been a paint job involved. Um, now you said, yeah, thank you for the fresh paint job, but. Now it goes into who painted the truck. You take it to a cheaper body shop that you saw a commercial on TV for 500 bucks, and they'll blast it and make it look all right for a year or two. Or do you take somebody that really knows what the heck they're doing? Um, you know, there's, there's so many variables in that part of it where if I were to sell a truck that's been painted personally, I, I would tell that person it was painted on because God only knows two or three years here in Illinois that paint might fade or the clear coat might come off. And now they're thinking that you ripped them off. Gotcha. So, okay. Okay. Important to me. 
So when we're talking availability, the other big thing that comes up, I think, are low mileage LBZs or no rust 7.3 liter power strokes. Why are these trucks so hard to find? An LBZ is always going to be the holy grail of Duramaxis. Um, the LBZ, as everybody knows, the LB7 had some issues, and people love all the Duramaxers, fans and gurus of all of them. Don't get me wrong, but generally speaking, LB7s, LLYs, they needed those years to work out a few bugs. Uh, the transmission, for one, head gaskets, injector issues, the list kind of goes on. But when you get into an LBZ, and the reason why I'm looking for my fifth one right now is because they don't have these issues. They have a solid transmission. They don't have head gasket issues typically. And um, they're so reliable, and people know that they're worth so much, and they'll pay a little bit more for that pre-emission Duramax rather than going into an 07.5 to an LMM. Um, and, and dealing with that. Okay, how about the no rust 7.3 liters? Oh man, I mean, finding a 7.3 with no rust, if you're a Ford fan or not, you're going to appreciate a truck like that. I mean, there's no, there's no hiding that fact that most people will respect that type of truck. So, with that being said, there's a lot of eyeballs out there hunting for the same product. And same deal where not many people want to get into a six hole. I mean, Charlie, unless you're Charlie Keeter or something, <laughs> um, you wanna you wanna stay in the seven three for the most reliable truck without having to modify. Um, if you're a farmer or you know just want to put it to work or you just want a really cool truck that's gonna cost you the least amount as possible. And as the Ford's got newer from the seven threes, it just got more expensive to own and operate those trucks. And you got into the six holes, you got into six fours, and to do anything to those things and keep them reliable and harness the type of power that some of these people are trying to push them through, ooh, that's where it really costs people the most. <laughs> okay, so it really just comes down to basic market principles. There, there were only so many manufactured. Many of them are rusty, high miles, beaten up and broken now. So the ones that are left, there's just very, very few of them, and a lot of people want them. And we can see why each one of these would be desirable. If you had to have an oval on the front of the truck, the 7.3 is the only reliable thing I could think of. Uh, if you wanted an LBZ, well, again, dime a dozen if you're willing to pay top dollar for high miles. Very, very hard to find a low mileage LBZ at this point because there were so many on the road. They were so popular. Uh, same thing with the clean VP trucks. You know, We know that they're everywhere, but to find one with none of the problems in it, it just gets tougher and tougher, and that drives the pricing up on these. Now, obviously, as we start to look at these older trucks, high demand, low low availability, that means the price goes up on them, right? So now that the price is up, people start asking about financing. How old of a truck is eligible for financing? I mean, right now, in 08, getting um, a five-year note on an 08, that's pretty much what most banks are doing. If you're going to get um, a good interest rate, you know, and I'm talking a 1.99, 2.99, even a 3.99, that's a solid interest rate for that truck in 06, 07 LBZ. But to get one for five years, you're, you better, you're probably going to have naked photos of your banker if he's going to give you that loan or he's going to really know you or something. It's going to be really a stretch to pull that out. Um, so... Really, generally speaking, you might get a lower term and you should payment up, and then you start thinking, oh, man, I might as well just buy an LML for this price because the payment's pretty close. Gotcha. 
Okay. How how do age and mileage impact interest rates? Oh, it, I mean, it affects it directly, both of them. So if you're like me and you have a history with your credit union or your bank and they see that you've owned all these LBVs, 06, 07, now you have a leg to stand on and say, hey, I want to buy another one with these 5,000 miles. They're probably going to give a guy like me a loan. But if you're just the type of guy that's just, you know, average show off the street, you're trying to get a first-time truck here, first-time loan possibly, and you want to buy 150,000-mile Duramax because you found one for twenty grand and it's an 06, crew cab, short bed, leather, everything you wanted, now your bank's telling you, well, it's got over 100,000 miles. I don't want to push financing through. Because if you default on that loan, now it's up to me to find that truck and then try to cash that out for what we have into it. And unfortunately, the banks only go by the book. The banks don't care about um, market value as much as the book value. They're only going by the numbers because their boss, at the end of the day, is the one that's going to come crashing down if something happens and ask them why they did that loan. Gotcha. Okay. So it just comes down to risk. They're not really looking at market value. They're looking at a book, a predetermined value where the it kind of sits for a long, more stagnant of time. And we run into this a lot. I think anybody who's ever gone to finance a used car has found you go to buy the car and they tell you you have to put X amount of dollars down. Well, that's to adjust that gap between market pricing and book pricing or loan value is what a lot of banks have come to call it. So I could see how older trucks would have more risk and therefore would pay a higher interest rate. And same thing on mileage. Even if you have a 2011, but it's got 300,000 miles on it, I could see how a bank would say, well, this truck may not last past the payments. We got to make sure you pay us. It's going to cost you more interest rate. That that seems pretty logical to me. And, and there's something to help this situation. It's called gap insurance. You can buy it to help gap that price. But now they actually have gap insurance on gap insurance you can get because it's gone, gotten a little ridiculous. <laughs> so if that truck ever gets totaled or wrecked out, you know, what is the insurance company going to give you? So right. that's where that gap insurance and the financing and the, the mileage and the year and everything comes into play because at the end of the day, they're just looking at numbers. They could care less if it's a holy grail LBZ or uh, 90,000 mile 99.73. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Now, so now we've given everybody a better idea of why the prices are where they're at, at least on some of these more rare trucks. We've given them a better idea of how different factors will impact their financing. So they're ready to buy. Now it's time to do the inspection. And this is probably my least favorite part of a truck because I just, doesn't matter how much inspection I do, I feel like I always miss something. So walk me through yeah. some of the basics. If we're talking about older trucks, what are some of the highlights on the inspection I should hit? Okay. I just want to, I'm glad you brought that up because body work. We were just talking about that. You walk around the truck. I'm lucky. I've seen hundreds and thousands of different trucks trying to be traded into me and people, you know, trying to fix something and trade it in quick before anybody noticed. So I'm, I was always on the edge of my seat looking for, you know, this problem. Because most people that go to trade in a vehicle, they don't trade in a great vehicle. They're just trading in a problem. <laughs> so really look at gapping the body lines and paintwork. I'm finger blasts, the door panels, the inside trim, go through and actually physically touch the inside of the lips and make sure you don't feel that tape line. Because if you do, then you know 
uh, hey, why, why is this thing been painted? Has it been hit by a train? Has it been, or, or has, has it just been scratched by a simple key because my neighbor was mad that my exhaust was too loud? <laughs> so, I mean, there's a huge difference there. And personally, if I'm going to buy a truck, I'm not going to buy something that's painted on because if I ever have to go resell this thing and I put it on Craigslist or Auto Trader or Cars.com, anywhere like that, and I send somebody here from across the country to look at my truck, and I'm trying to hide the fact that it's been painted on. And now they come to look at it, and they're like, oh, my God, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I want. Okay. Well, that's definitely some really good advice on the inspection for the exterior. The the inspection, I can go on and on, Paul. I just want to tell you that you get into a Dodge, you have to really look at the front ends. These front ends can cost you two, three, four thousand dollars $4,000 to repair a we're talking about VP trucks, 98.5 to 02, even 98.5 to present time. You can have ball joint issues on the Dodge. Everybody knows. So what and do you look for? Failures, you really just have to have that eyeball to go around and, you know, look at things. I'm not scared to bring a jack to a dealership, jack the front end up on these trucks, wiggle these wheels up, down, left, right, making sure the ball joints, wheel bearings, everything like that is all intact. I'll bring a big three-foot pry bar and, and start prying up and making sure the ball joints aren't ready to pop out or the track bars, you know, got some serious wiggle room or play. These are things that people buy because they're excited, they're at the dealership, they're ready to go home, and then all of a sudden a week later they're like, oh, my God, this thing, what did I get myself into? Okay, so and how about motor inspection? On the contract. You can't take it back. Right, right. How about motor inspection on the older trucks? What are some of the things you look for? First things first, I mean, if you're talking about an LB7 or an LOI, I'm going to squeeze the upper radiator to make sure it's not rock hard because that's a telltale sign of a blown head gasket or a head gasket failure. Now, that's a great thing to look for on the Duramaxes, but as far as what I like to do as well, you know, just give it a good run around the block, give it a hot lap, and then take it back, let it idle, pop the oil cap off while it's idling, and just make sure this thing isn't, you know throwing Indian smoke signals at you, um, and we call that term blow-by. And when there's blow-by in a motor, a 7.3 or a Duramax, you know that motor has seen better days. It's been worked hard and put away wet. Okay, okay. How about newer trucks, Danny? We talked a lot about the older vehicles. Tell me, what's the difference between normal wear and tear and abused equipment? I mean, normal wear and tear is going to be like your rock chips, your maybe a little car door ding that you can have a painless dent guy do work on. But abuse, I mean, I see trucks that are 2013, 14, 15 Duramaxes that the tires are all the way down to the cords and the brakes are just roasted off the thing. And, you know, there's body damage and bumper damage. And you just know that this thing has had a rough life. I mean, if it's got a smokestack in the back of the bed, I would stay away from it. I can't tell you how disgusting that is when you go to sell a truck and it's got a stack in a bed. And if you sit back and think about um, people that have a stack in their bed and how they typically, generally treat those type of trucks, you know, you agree with me that, you know, that truck hasn't had an easy life of only being at 2,000 RPM until like. Yeah, there's not too many old man grandpas that put a stack in the bed. I, I hear you there. Yeah, I mean, that right there, to me, it's a turnoff. You're going to scare me away from that truck, and even if it has a hole in the bed where it had a stack at one time. Right. I mean, like, 
water meth kits, any kind of injectables, any kind of things that you can make that motor go faster or, you know, perform harder. I feel like you got to really look at these trucks to make sure that they haven't had those components because at the end of the day, yeah, you might have your family in this truck. You have to rely on it to get to work. You have to rely on it to get your date to Red Lobster that night or whatever the case is. Buy a nice one if you're going to spend the money. Yeah. Okay. All right. Where should people go in the country to look for trucks? Where should people stay away from? Oh, to stay away from, I can, I'd like to start there because there's a, out in the Northeast when, you know, unfortunately they have horrible weather at times where hurricanes and disasters strike. So in certain states, if you were to buy a truck, um, there's a disaster form you got to fill out. So, I mean, be very cautious that you're not buying a bobber, I call it something that's been floating around in the water <laughs> that's been in a disaster, a flood like Louisiana. And, you know, now you're, you found this great deal on this truck. And just uh, two weeks ago, I saw it on CNN getting um, pushed down the street by a, in a flood. Yeah. Yeah, we did see a rash of those after Katrina. Really look out for and I've seen it over and over again where you're buying a truck out of state thinking you're getting a great deal, but it might have a rebuilt title. It might have a branded title and, I just don't do it to yourself. There's better trucks out there. Okay, so where should people look for vehicles? Okay, so my my favorite places to look for vehicles are always going to be out west and down south, where obviously you're not in the Rust Belt. Most people know to, you know, I'm not saying anything bad about the Northeast, like New Jersey and things like that, but it's hard to find a nice truck up there where you were just at. And next, I mean, I'm sure there's some out there, but those guys aren't selling them. Um, usually they accumulate rust very quick, and what I mean by that is in the door bottoms, on the frame, in the cab corners, and uh, on the rocker panels. So, I mean, Pennsylvania is a really tough state. Michigan, Illinois, where we live, is also sometimes a hard state. Uh, you get down south of, towards Illinois, southern Illinois, those trucks really seem to be night and day. So I feel like there's like a line right there somewhere where the trucks really clean up um, in Illinois here, and uh come north here Ooh, they're toasted <laughs> yeah draw the line at st louis right if you're south of st louis it probably don't it's not as bad as it is up here i i can agree with that i mean i've seen it firsthand and people might say oh it looks nice on the outside but when you drop to a knee and you look at that frame and if it's been rebody or undercoated and you know it's just been covered up i don't know i i just that doesn't do anything for me granted i'm gonna do that when i get the truck myself but I want to be the one to do these things. Speaking of body, bedliner and stuff, I cannot stand bedliner on trucks on the outside of it. Oh, um, like on the bottom, the on the bottom half truck, of the panels? Yeah, most of the time when you see bedliner on the outside of a truck, I, I wouldn't mind doing it myself, like I said, but to buy a truck like that, usually they're covering up rust. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, you had mentioned something earlier here I wanted to hit on as well. You mentioned something about rebuilt titles, and I think that brings us into history. So everybody knows you can go to Carfax and pull a Carfax report, but everybody's also dealt with a car and knows somebody who's dealt with a car that didn't have the full history. They can only put on the report what's reported, right? So if I get into an accident with my truck and I don't report it to my insurance company and I just fix it at home, done deal, that doesn't go on a Carfax report. So what should I look for when I'm starting to look in the history of a vehicle? 
man, that's a huge deal. It's twenty dollars for a Carfax report. Just buy the thing if you are seriously looking at this truck. Run the VIN number and check it out because the truck, the, the person might have the title in their hand, and it says everything looks perfect. It might not even say branded. It might not even have a rebuilt uh, logo on it or that verbiage anywhere on the whole thing, on the whole title. But when you pull the Carfax, sure enough, it says rebuilt, branded, salvaged, something along them, uh, that nature. Where now if you ever go to make an insurance claim with your insurance company, if something happens, or if you go to get a loan on it, they're not going to be very excited to help you out at that point because it's already been wrecked and redone. And the expenses of that cost more than the truck was worth when it was wrecked. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Market pricing example. There's a market for rebuilt titles. There's a market for salvage titles. But if you're a guy like me that, you know, um, has, you know, I finance vehicles and I have full coverage on my insurance, uh, for my vehicles, these are things that you really don't want to do to yourself again. You don't want to try to be, sneaky about it and say, oh, it looks beautiful. My insurance company will never pick it up. Oh, they're going to find out about that, and they may jack your insurance rates through the roof or not even cover that vehicle. So before you buy a vehicle, it's always wise to talk to your insurance company and find these things out if you don't want to break down and buy a $20 history report. Yeah, don't be cheap, you fucks. Yeah, don't pull up Paul Wilson over here and try to <laughs> by, you know, thinking you got a deal. Good enough, bro. That's, that's literally my motto at the car lot. Good enough, bro. Drives the salesman in fucking sane. They can't stand it because, you know, they're all hyping up. Oh, look at this truck. Look at all the cool features. Isn't that awesome? And I'm like, eh, good enough. Whatever. It just it crushes them. It just pulls their spirit. I love it. You would have hated me, Danny, if I would have ever bought a truck from you. You would have hated it. It would have been fun, though. Um, I can imagine Paul on the car lot with a cup of coffee and his big old Newport hanging out, walking up. Yeah, how you doing, folks? Yeah, selling cars was a different story. Yeah, selling cars, I had a lot of fun because then I was I was more like you, right? So I'd be super nice. But yeah, buying cars, I'm a nightmare. Just because you know I've seen both sides of the desk. All right, Danny, I wanted to talk to you about market pricing. This is a, a big conversation that I've had with you before. It's a big conversation. Anytime we talk to somebody about buying a vehicle, I think the best way to show examples of market pricing is to go through some actual real examples. So get okay. your Google ready. Uh, no, I, I mean, oh, you, gonna, oh, you just I know it. Our listeners to really um, notate the dates of our market show, market value shows like this. Well, uh, I think like I think first, that's I, I'm going to work that in here. Yeah. So so this is an example, right? So if I'm looking at a 16 Duramax Denali today. And I'm looking across the entire country, I've noticed that the price varies quite a bit. It's a 16 Duramax Denali. How different could they be? Why is there such a wide range in the pricing for them? First of all, I guess we could establish what is the gap? What's a high and a low that somebody would expect to pay for a brand new Denali? You know, there's a difference between a Denali and a hard loaded Denali. You can get a Denali without a moonroof and a rear sliding window and Every, all the bells and whistles. You can get a base model Denali, I would call it. Um, so these are things that might look appealing online because they just have a stock photo of it sitting in the little thumb um, picture window and th- the thumbnail. And um, you can get into a Denali, which you call Mike Carter. They buy one every year. I think they're like seventy-five grand. 
uh, we had them on our show. It was called Mint LML. And they, you know, it's like Nick and a couple other guys, I know they buy these trucks every year. And there's a reason why they're buying them every year because their other ones are worth a lot of money still. And they know that they've made a wise investment um, and they can trade them in for a good amount if you keep working with the same dealer. Okay, so what's a high and a low that I would spend on a brand new Denali? Uh, I would say, you know, right around seventy five grand. You could probably spend, I imagine, for an, a twenty sixteen LML to seventeen you're coming out. So that's going to be very uh, much a market factor because the new ones are on the brink of coming out. And they've got this new hood on it, and they've got all these body style changes. Now these dealers have these seventeens um, coming out, and uh, they got these sixteens on their lot. They're going to try to cut back uh, some pricing on the 16th. So it's all right around this time. Uh, we're, we're late September right now, 2016. You can start, really, if you want to buy a, a 16, this is the time to buy it because new body styles can be coming out shortly. Okay. Okay, sure. Sure. How about... The low end? I mean, I can't really price a dealer. I mean, they most dealers that have these trucks, they're going to try to get the most out of them. What they'll actually sell it for is one thing versus uh, what they have it for sale as. Uh, so that's something that comes into your negotiating skills and your knowledge. And when you go to the dealership and how to approach them with your trade and your financing already in place, and um, you know you do you set up your dealer for just an easy transaction, he's probably more apt to work with you a little bit, saying, thinking, hey, this guy's got his ducks in a row, he's got his financing in place, he's got his insurance ready to rock and roll, he's got his trade, he knows what he wants for it. If I can give him enough for his trade, I can get him into this truck. So it just comes out to uh, the old-fashioned four-square method if you're in the car sales. Um, and if you'd like to see that, give me an email, and uh, I'd love to send it to you because once you look at the four-square, what these car salesmen do to you, you're going to think, that son of a bitch did that to me. <laughs> and uh, now you can actually work uh, reverse on what the um, car salesman's going to do to you. That is an old tactic, the old four-square. I like that. That's like uh, charge them 40 bucks for the floor mats. Um, which is a reference to an old car sales movie that only hardcore car sales guys would would reference. But anyways, um, okay, so so that's what new trucks go like. You're dealing with dealerships. They're, they're brand new. There's a lot that gets factored in on what time of the year it is, what's the next model that's coming out. There, there's a lot that impacts it. Uh, I'm a big fan of TrueCar.com, although if you compare the prices on TrueCar.com to the vehicles available on Cars.com, I seem to find better pricing, at least in my area, on thecars.com. Uh, but I think that's a good point to make. Do your research. You, you know, don't be lazy. Google works, I promise. So type it in and start looking. Look on different, not at just at different dealerships, look at different car sales websites. So hit Craigslist, hit cars.com, hit True Car. Any other favorites of yours out there, Danny? Oh, absolutely. I have so many favorites. I, I really prefer to go to a dealer at times because... I've been to so many different private buyers' houses and been looking at their vehicles, and I've traveled so I've traveled to Las Vegas before for a vehicle, and it wasn't exactly what they were telling me, and they were just going to ship this thing to my house and ship, ship, ship it, get it out of there, and then now I get it to my door, and the thing is just complete mess. But my favorite ones, you know, to be honest, Cars.com, Auto Trader, um, eBay, my favorite website um, to buy a truck or a vehicle. These guys are very reputable. They're the number one eBay um, dealership out there. They're called Texas Direct. Those guys, whatever they're doing, if you look at their operation, um, take a step back and look at it, 
it'll drop your jaw. I mean, it's unbelievable the type of business that Texas Direct does. Nice. Nice. Yeah, good heads up. If you get something delivered to you, and it's from a place like Texas Direct or, you know, a reputable company, and they're probably going to work with you and try to get whatever resolved if there's an issue. Hoorah. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So that covers kind of our newer vehicles. So if you're out there looking for newer vehicles, those are some of the factors that are going to impact pricing. Some of Danny and mine's uh, favorite picks, favorite places to go and shop for vehicles, which even I find myself when I'm not anywhere near ready to buy another vehicle, I'm always shopping for one, which is a funny thing we all do at the office. I I sit behind you. I see you daydreaming, drooling over all these trucks, and I'm wondering what the hell you're doing, but maybe you're just getting ready for the truck buyer's guide episode. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was doing. I definitely wasn't just zoning out at work and looking at new vehicles that I can't afford. Right. Um, thank God Nick doesn't listen to these. No, I'm just joking. Hi, Nick. Anyways. Nick doesn't know your search history? Yeah, yeah, right. Like he doesn't walk by my desk and see me on cars.com every day. Anyways. Okay, uh, reprogram a truck and you're going to tell me he doesn't know what website you're on? <laughs> How about LB7s, Danny? How about if I'm, I'm out searching for LB7s, what are some of the factors that are going to impact the pricing? So... LB7s, like we were saying, I would put it in your head that it's pretty much unfinanceable unless you got a special situation at hand. And LB7s, I love LB7s, but you're always up against injector uh, work. So what are you going to spend, five grand on some injectors? And expect that right away. So whatever price you get on your LB7, even if they just said brand new injectors just put in, still put five grand on top of it because... Chances are people don't know about companies like Extragy and SNS and companies that actually do thorough testing on their injectors and their uh, uh, fuel equipment for inje- uh, pumps and injectors. They do these tests that no other companies are really doing. And if they put an injector in your truck on an LB7 and it's not right, whew, everybody knows that now you got to go back into it. you got to dig them out valve covers. It's costing you big money just to put one back in. Well, that's just solid advice all the way around. Um, Danny, any other notes that you want to make out there for anybody looking for new vehicles? Yeah, so the reason why I love LBZ so much is because I feel like they're the most tuner-friendly vehicles. And what I mean by that is we can bump them up in horsepower to usually about 400 to 450 with a stock trans, with you know everything just being stock. We're putting just a, a race valve in the fuel rail, which is 50 bucks, and a lift pump. Um, you can have a lot of fun with them, just like that, 400 to 450 horse. There's some guys that bump them to 530 horse where they're maxing out uh, the stock turbo. And they'll last for a period of time, and you're usually in for a trans build uh, after having a little too much fun one night. But, <laughs> um, man, I got to tell you, if, if you're really looking for a truck, make sure it's tunable. We're just breaking into that VP market right now where we can tune 90 and a half to um, present time Cummins, and what is it, almost 20 years everybody's been waiting for tuning on these VP trucks. Yeah, for and, custom tuning, yeah. Uh, some of the trucks that are really hard to tune um, are just your older trucks that run usually a different type of injection besides common rail. It's got common rail injection, um, and it's not a Dodge from 03 to uh, 05, which we can't EFI live at the moment. 
but uh, we'll be able to uh, work with the new Smarty MM3 that you've been pushing, Paul, and all your freaking blogs you've been posting about. Really cool job you've been doing on those. Yeah, thanks for that. That's actually the one thing I wanted to plug for this episode. So if you have a uh, Cummins truck and you're interested in custom tuning, jump over to Diesel Tuners blog. That's a Diesel Tuners blog, uh, which you can find at calibratedpower.com. There's a link right on the homepage for the Diesel Tuners blog. I have a bunch of articles on there about VP trucks. Uh, We're even just starting to move into, we're going to break open the beta test market. So remote tuning, uh, beta testing is starting to go on for the 98.5 to 05 Cummins. Definitely get a hold of me. You can shoot me an email, paul at duramaxtuner.com. If you're interested in being a part of that program, we can get you some details out on it. I would say that for tonight, this has been Paul Wilson. And I'm Danny Voss. Thanks for listening. Calibrated Power Solutions, the leading North American developer of clean diesel power and home of DuramaxTuner.com, is the proud sponsor of the Diesel Performance Podcast. Calibrated Power develops emissions-equipped tunes for a wide variety of diesel powertrains, including the Duramax, Cummins, Jeep, John Deere, and many more. For more information and the best customer service in the industry, check out CalibratedPower.com or call 815-568-7920. That's 815-568-7920. To reach out to the Diesel Performance Podcast, send us a message through Facebook or email Paul at DuramaxTuner.com or Danny at DuramaxTuner.com. Danny, you're on the phone today. What's up, bud? Man, we just had a baby, and I'm, like, strung out on too much coffee and no sleep. Woo! Congratulations, Danny Voss. Just had a bouncing baby boy. Yeah, nine-pounder. He's a he's a monster. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Good stuff. Well, congratulations, man. We're really happy for you. That's from me and Rich, of course, and all of our listeners.